As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Are listening to the sixth episode of the C.S. Lewis podcast with Professor Alistair McGrath. I'm Ruth Jackson and over the first series Alistair and I will be looking at some of Lewis's thoughts around significant topics such as the meaning of life, suffering and the hope of heaven. You can find out more about the C.S. Lewis podcast by heading to cslewispodcast.com. C.S. Lewis is one of the most influential voices in modern Christianity. The 20th century British writer and lay theologian has profoundly impacted Christians around the world and brought many atheists and agnostics to faith in Jesus. One person whose faith was greatly encouraged by the writings of C.S. Lewis is Professor Alistair McGrath. Both men were raised in Northern Ireland, studied at Oxford University and went on to become professors there. They also both came to faith from atheism slightly later in life. Alistair has written numerous books on C.S. Lewis, including a seminal biography, C.S. Lewis, A Life, which is published by Hodder. If you would like to get your hands on a free copy of this book, then we would love you to post about the C.S. Lewis podcast on social media. Use the hashtag C.S. Lewis podcast on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and include a link to our website, cslewispodcast.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please don't forget to like, rate and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. And obviously, the more you share about the podcast, the more likely you are to win one of Professor Alistair McGrath's books. On today's episode, we will be focusing on the art of apologetics. Alistair, welcome back to the podcast. We're going to have a little look at uh, C.S. Lewis's view on apologetics. So I guess a good place to start would be... What is apologetics? And many people will ask that question because how often do we use the word apologetics in everyday language? Hardly ever. I mean, apologetics is not about saying sorry for faith. <laughs> it's much more saying, look, what we need to do is understand concerns our culture may have about faith. Let's engage those. So there's a negative aspect dealing with stereotypes, dealing with, with objections people raise. We can do that. Secondly, there's also trying to say, well, look, we need to explain why Christianity is so attractive. What difference does it make? And we need to be able to do that in a way that connects up with where our audience is. So, again, this positive commendation of faith is very important. Then thirdly, there's this whole question of translation, that how do we translate the world of the New Testament, the world of the Christian tradition, into the language our audience is used to? And we can do it. C.S. Lewis is very good at doing it, but it does need to be done. So those three things together, apologetics. 
And you mentioned their objections. Uh, C.S. Lewis was quite famously an atheist before he became a Christian. Were there any particular objections which were the reason that he wasn't becoming a Christian? I think for Lewis, there were, there were a number of objections. One was um, that he felt that science had eliminated the conceptual space once occupied by God. Another was he thought there was a sort of um, similarity of form between Christianity and pagan myths, which meant they were all inventions. And then thirdly, there was this anxiety about suffering in the world. So those were three major concerns for him. But as his story of faith shows, he was able to overcome all of those. And I suppose we've seen that some of those questions were answered along the way. Were there any questions or objections that C.S. Lewis had that were at no point answered or answered in a satisfactory way and he sort of held that tension? Or was it that actually he found most of the time answers to the questions that he was looking for? I think Lewis was very much aware that in trying to explain Christianity to a secular culture, there were areas of tension. And at various points, he felt, I have not overcome this tension. For example, the idea of judgment. I mean, Lewis felt that culture in Britain in the 1950s wasn't really ready for that. That actually he had to find some way of trying to say this has to be done as a matter of justice or a matter of integrity. But he was aware that this was difficult to explain to a wider culture. So how did he do that? How did he explain something difficult like judgment in that setting? Well, Lewis's normal way of explaining difficult ideas is to tell stories, to say, let's imagine the situation or to give you an angle of approach from which it looks different. In other words, he's saying, look, if you look at it from this way, it doesn't seem quite so bad. For example, his um, defense of the doctrine of the Trinity does not consist of, here's a rational reason for believing in the Trinity. It's much more, if you look at it from this direction, actually it makes sense, doesn't it? And he used analogy quite a lot in apologetics, didn't he? Which isn't particularly common. I suppose when we think of apologetics, we think of rational arguments and and a kind of linear, if this, then this, then this. But he uses analogy and pictures quite a lot in his apologetics, doesn't he? He does. And in many ways, Lewis is moving us away from a very argumentative or rational approach to apologetics. And what Lewis is saying is that very often you need to construct an imaginative picture. And that enables you to see things in a different way. And that helps you to grasp what Christianity is all about. How did C.S. Lewis get into apologetics? C.S. Lewis got into apologetics in The Problem of Pain, published in 1940, where basically he was asked to write about suffering as someone who had been an atheist but wasn't anymore, and to try and explain to his readers, you know, how he came to faith and how he held the faith in the face of suffering. So I think that was really the first work in which he explicitly engaged an apologetic agenda. And do you think that's why he was such a good apologist? Because he had that journey of not believing into belief. I think that Lewis realized that for an apologist to be able to connect with the audience, it really helps if you've been part of that audience in the past. And so Lewis was able to describe atheist concerns, atheist beliefs very, very well because he'd been there. But he'd also come somewhere else. So he was able to say, here is what moved me from atheism to faith. In other words, as an atheist, I was aware of problems. Here is how I resolved those in the light of Christianity. So do you think he largely saw apologetics then as a way of removing some of those barriers so that you could then believe? Or did he see it as a tool for Christians? Or was it maybe a bit of both? Well, there's no doubt Lewis saw apologetics partly as removing barriers to faith. 
But a lot of what he writes, particularly, for example, in the sermon, The Weight of Glory, is trying to enable people to capture what is so attractive, what is so moving about Christianity that will make you want to come to it. I think that's one of his great strengths. I mean, when he describes Aslan, you know, very often the language is lyrical and moving and beautiful. And he's trying to say, this is what Christianity is like. You need to discover this. So in many ways, he's not just dealing with objections. He's trying to commend a positive vision of what Christianity actually is. But he wouldn't necessarily see it as a discipleship tool for Christians to use. Lewis doesn't talk of it in those terms at all. He sees it as something he is called to do and invites anybody else who'd like to do it to kind of follow in his footsteps. But he doesn't really see it as an essential part of the ministry of the church. It's much more something that those who are able to do so should do. And what does he see then as specifically the role of the apologist? Well, I think Lewis sees the role of the apologist in in a number of ways. I think he is very, very clear that Christianity needs to be able to show it has a rightful place in intelligent conversation, that actually there are reasons that can be given for faith. And Lewis knows what those are. And one of his great contributions is to articulate them clearly and say to other people, you can do this as well. So there's also this whole issue of the prevailing cultural mood, which is to think of Christianity as being irrational. And therefore, for Lewis, it's very important to show that Christianity is motivated, that there are good reasons that may be advanced in its support. But I think perhaps the most important point of all is that one of the things that Lewis is able to show that people agree morality is important, but Lewis explores what is required for morality to be stabilized. No God, no stable morality. And that's a very important argument in mere Christianity. So what are some of those arguments you talk about there where Lewis is talking about the rationality of faith and the reasonableness of Christianity? What are some of those reasons that he draws upon? The main reason he draws upon is the ability of Christianity to fit in what we experience. And it's very interesting because it's not really an argument from rational presuppositions. It's much more saying, look, here is Christianity. Now, you experience a sense of moral obligation or you experience a sense of deep longing for something that somehow you don't seem able to attain. If you look at those experiences through a Christian perspective, That's exactly what you'd expect. In other words, the theory, the Christian way of looking at things, makes sense of what you actually experience. So, for example, take this very interesting experience of feeling you are drawn to something that you cannot actually reach out and take hold of, the sense of a a sort of dissatisfaction or a longing for something that nothing created or finite is able to satisfy. Lewis says, look, that is what you'd expect if you are made to relate to God and have yet to find him. You find surrogates for God, but they don't satisfy, and you're left with the realization, unless you find God, these longings, these cravings, these yearnings are never going to be satisfied. So if you like, Christianity gives you this framework for making sense of things, but also showing you what you can do to move things ahead. C.S. Lewis obviously thought that apologetics was really important, but he also talks about the, the kind of dangers of being an apologist, that you've never sort of so doubted something when you're so arguing for it. Would you say just a little bit about how he reconciled that, how he sort of kept his own faith alive while he was clearly, 
I guess it, he talks about the importance of looking after yourself when you're an apologist, doesn't he? Yes, at several points in his letters, Lewis talks about the sense of tension he experiences. He knows he does apologise well, but he's also very much aware that he's on trial, that he, he feels the pressure of this. He feels that in some way he is, um, he's almost being seen as the the gateway to Christianity for some people, and they may decide not to go there because of him. So he feels this very big weight of responsibility. And he doesn't really cope with it very well. And that's one of the reasons why I think he perhaps changed his apologetic style once he moved from Oxford to Cambridge in 1954. But one of the points I think Lewis brings out very, very clearly is that apologetics needs to be done, but it is it is tiring, it's exhausting for the apologist, and he or she needs support if they're going to do this kind of thing. It does drain you emotionally and intellectually. And you mentioned there that he changed his style when he moved from Oxford to Cambridge. What was his style before and what, what did it become when he moved to Cambridge? In his Oxford period, Lewis is really doing apologetics with non-Christians. In other words, he is in fact saying, here are objections our culture has, let me begin to engage them. When he moves to Cambridge, it's much more, if I'm put it like this, apologetics to the converted, reassuring them this makes sense. And in effect saying, here are some things you can do in conversations with friends. In other words, it's Lewis resourcing people, Lewis speaking to the faithful and saying, here's how I can help you do this. Whereas he doesn't any longer really see himself in the battlefront. You know, it's much more someone who is almost like, a, to use a military metaphor, on a staff college, teaching rather than actively doing. But I suppose his books would still have been, his audience would have been largely non-Christian. Is that what he was, what he thought he was writing to? Well, I think books like, for example, The Four Loves or Reflections on the Psalms, which date from this later period, I mean, they are read beyond the church. But actually, I keep feeling they are really particularly relevant to Christians who, in effect, want reassurance and also, I think, want to know how they could talk about these things to their friends. And Lewis, in effect, gives them approaches that they can take and use. Do you think he would have a kind of five top tips of how to do apologetics with your friends? If, if he was sat with a bunch of Christians in a, I guess, like a small group, a discipleship group, and C.S. Lewis was training them in apologetics, what do you think he would say to I'm them? I'm not sure if he would say, here are five top <laughs> tips from a seasoned professional apologist. Read my book. <laughs> He's not really like that. But I think he, he would um, say a number of things. One of them is that if your personal history equips you to be an apologist, do it. And his own personal history was moving from atheism to Christianity and knowing why he did that. So in effect, he could speak to anybody else in that position and say, here's why I moved, here's why you can move. I think that's very important. Secondly, Lewis is very alert to the apologetic importance of stories and images. And, you know, he's really looking at the imagination. He's always working on the assumption Christianity makes rational sense. It's not irrational. It goes beyond reason. But he's also saying sometimes we need to engage the imagination to make people say, oh, I wish it were true. Because in many ways, if you read Narnia, what you're seeing is Lewis creating a hope on the part of his readers. I just wish it was like this, really. And then you can say, well, actually, now that you've mentioned it, I can show you it is. So in fact, create the desire, then show it makes sense. If we just say, let me show you it makes sense, well, they're not 
con- not committed. Mm. You need to engage them, make them say, tell us why this might be right. Do you think there's a sense then that he maybe thought apologetics was just for people who had a story like himself and like you where you'd gone from atheism or at least non-belief to a belief in God? Or do you think it's something that he thought that people, I guess people like me who've been a Christian their whole lives, would he have thought that you'd maybe have slightly less authority because you hadn't been where the atheist that you're perhaps engaging with had been? That's a very good question. I'm not sure Lewis addresses it specifically, but on the basis of what he does say, I think the the credibility of somebody who's moved from atheism to Christianity and can say why is quite substantial. Mm. But what Lewis would then say is, look, that's my story, but everybody has their own story. And the question is, what apologetic potential does your story have? If your story is, look, I've, as long as I can remember, I've always been a Christian. Here's how I've grown in my faith. Here's, a, here's, here's how it helps me deal with this or that. Here's how it helps me to become a better person. Those aspects of your story need to be heard. Because somebody else might say, that's what I've been looking for. I suppose often when we think of apologetics, we think of people like C.S. Lewis, like you, who are really smart. And I guess sometimes people like me think, oh, gosh, I'm not clever enough to do apologetics. What do you think C.S. Lewis would say to that? Do you think he'd say that it is just for the kind of academically elite or is it something that anyone can do? Lewis would say it needs to be done by everyone if they can. And the point that Lewis would make, I think, is, look, we have different audiences for apologetics. And maybe there's an apologist who speaks particularly well to this audience. Lewis was very good at engaging academic audience, but he learned the skill of being able to speak at another level. He learned that deliberately. It was hard for him. He learned it at Royal Air Force bases in the Second World War, and it worked. So there is always this sense, look, maybe there's a natural audience that every Christian is able to engage because of their background, the issues they're engaged in, their level of education, but maybe they can extend their reach by working on their language, their arguments, their images, and be able to go beyond that natural audience and engage another one as well. I suppose C.S. Lewis was clearly writing into his own culture and context, but some of that obviously transcends culture and some of the objections that his contemporaries would have had, our culture also has. But there's also a sense in which today's culture has got a lot more objections that maybe C.S. Lewis's contemporaries wouldn't have faced. Things like transgenderism, sexuality, uh, terrorism, lots of things, racism that we that are big questions that we're grappling with as a society. Do you think C.S. Lewis would have anything to say to those big questions? I think every apologist from the past is able to engage the questions their generation are raising. And some of those will be the ones our generation is raising, but not all of them. And therefore, that's why we need apologists who can build on Lewis and go beyond him. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with him. I'm simply saying the situation has changed, and Lewis can help us in so many ways, but not in others. And therefore, that's why apologetics is ongoing. Its task changes. We need new people, fresh voices, different experiences who can speak into those situations, as Lewis unfortunately cannot. Do you think there's anything that he talked about in an apologetic sense, or even in his theology, that people today, theologians today, wouldn't agree with? I think that professional theologians do disagree with Lewis on a number of issues. For example, um, that they feel that Lewis really engages with 
theologians from the past, like Augustine or Pascal or Aquinas, but nobody really in the 20th century. And, and the feeling is that Lewis maybe is locked into a particular style of theology, which resonates with his own interests in that period of literature. So that would be a concern. My own interest in Lewis, of course, is very much he's a wonderful apologist, but I can see ways of supplementing him by looking at some more recent theologians, some more recent cultural theorists, which help me make connections which are implicit in Lewis, but needs to be made explicit in a new cultural situation. And I suppose we see to a certain extent in Lewis's own life, particularly with perhaps the problem of suffering, which we're going to unpack a bit more in another podcast. But there's a sense in which he's got quite a few of the answers, but there are some things where maybe he doesn't have all of the answers, but he still has a very deep, profound belief in God. And there's a sense in which he's kind of holding some of that intention. How, what do you think C.S. Lewis would say to people who are in that experience today where they very much believe in God they don't have all of the answers to their objections but they're trying to kind of hold that intention I think Lewis might say two things number one we do need to learn to live with questions that I personally would be deeply suspicious of someone like Richard Dawkins who ties everything up very very neatly in fact so neatly it's clearly forced mm. you know it, it is he is not willing to wrestle with the complexity and ambiguity of our world he simplifies it and it's not really a proper engagement lewis is saying look we cannot answer all these questions what we can say is here is a way of looking at the world that makes so much sense if you like to use an image he loves a, a light illuminating a landscape, the sun rising. You know, it burns off so many of the shadows, so much of the mist, but some remain. Some areas will remain obscure, some in shadow. But the quality of vision Christianity gives us is so good, you say, right, I'm going to trust this. It's good enough. But the other point that Lewis makes, I think, needs to be heard as well. And it's this. He's simply making the point that... Um, Christianity, in effect, is something which is able to make a lot of sense of things, but that we so easily reduce it to a kind of solving of intellectual puzzles. And in many ways, you know, apologetics, the Christian faith, is not simply about rational answers. It's about, in effect, feeling at a deep level that this works. And that can involve the imagination, intuitions, emotions. It's not purely rational. And one of the things that Lewis Hank is saying is we need a form of emotional apologetics, which is able to engage what people are feeling about things and answer questions at those levels. And it can be done. Lewis doesn't do it as well as he might because he lived in a culture which kind of way downplayed the emotions. But we can take him and press him further. We're going to talk a little bit more in another episode about the impact that Lewis had on your own faith. But was there anything by way of what he did in the apologetic sphere? Was there a particular question that you had or, or something that you'd not really wrestled with that you were challenged by Lewis on? My background is that of a scientist. Um, obviously, I did chemistry at Oxford and then I did research in molecular biophysics. And one of the things I specialized in was the way in which scientific theories work. And you judge a scientific theory by the way in which uh, this theory or this way of looking at things is able to line up the observations and say, look, these fit in to the theory. If they don't, something is wrong. If they do, you're along the right lines. To my surprise, when I began to read Lewis, I found that approach. 
In fact, here is the Christian theory, a way of looking at things. Here are all these observations and experiences. Look, can you see how well it takes them in? Isn't that an indication of its truth, the ability of Christianity to, if I can put it like this, to hold together, to enfold these observations and experiences for Lewis is an indication of its truth. That's what I thought as a scientist. I was astonished and delighted to see (laughs) Lewis using that position in his own apologetic writings. So he had a really scientific approach to the way that he talked about... He did. If you think of Mere Christianity, that very interesting chapter on the Christian hope, where he talks about three ways of making sense of this sense of dissatisfaction. He says, here are three. He lines them up. And he says, but actually, two of them don't really work very well. That corresponds very well to inference to the best explanation, which is a leading scientific approach. There are multiple ways of understanding this, but that doesn't work very well. But now this one, but this is much better. Lewis uses that approach. Apologetics was a huge part of everything that C.S. Lewis did. And there are particular writings which are much more clearly apologetics than anything else. If we wanted to read some more of C.S. Lewis's apologetics, but also find out a bit more about his approach to apologetics, where would you suggest that we start? You could do two things. One is to read a book in which Lewis does apologetics. That's mere Christianity. And I would suggest you read very closely the opening chapter And just ask, what is he doing here? He's entering into an everyday situation and teasing out the apologetic questions that arise from it. It's very well done. And you find that throughout that book. But if you want to read Lewis reflecting on apologetics, his essay, Christian Apologetics, which dates from, I think it's 1944, is brilliant. It's just Lewis giving a lecture on apologetics. Here's what I think it is. Here's what I think we can do. And you may not agree with him or you may not feel he goes as far as he might, but all the basic elements are there. You can take that and develop that in your own distinct way. So Lewis might not give top tips for people doing apologetics, but if you could give any top tips for people doing apologetics, I suppose particularly in an evangelistic context, if someone is thinking, how do I begin to defend the Christian faith? Have you got any advice that you would give? I would begin by saying, let me tell you why I find Christianity so compelling and exciting. And then I would tell them. And everyone listening to this podcast will be able to do exactly the same thing. And in doing that, you're telling your own story and your audience will be interested. They may want to raise objections, but they're going to hear you first. They want to hear the positive, then they'll raise questions. The problem is otherwise you just raise questions and people don't know why those questions are significant. You need to explain why this matters, why it's so exciting, and then deal with the questions. Alistair, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the sixth episode of the C.S. Lewis podcast with Professor Alistair McGrath. I'm Ruth Jackson, and if you enjoyed this podcast, then please don't forget to like, rate and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. If you would like to get your hands on a free copy of one of Alistair's books about C.S. Lewis, then we would love you to post about this new C.S. Lewis podcast on social media. Use the hashtag C.S. Lewis podcast on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and include a link to our website, cslewispodcast.com. Over this first series of the C.S. Lewis podcast, Alistair and I will be looking at some of Lewis's thoughts around significant topics such as stories, suffering and the hope of heaven. Next week, we will focus on Lewis's thoughts around education. 